Welcome. You are listening to the McGregor EMC May 30th service recording. May you be encouraged and blessed as we sing together, pray together, and are challenged by God's word.
69, verse 1 to 5. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, the floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched, my eyes fail, looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Spirit within 
please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Our God, today we want to bring before you the summer camps that are close to our hearts. Not too long from now would be the time that they would begin operating in full, in earnest. And yet still here in the province, the rule is that day camps are not allowed to run. God, we have seen the wonderful things that you have done through the Bible camps in our province. We have seen the wonderful things that you have done through them firsthand. So Lord, this, this hits us hard. So Lord, this causes us to be wondering what is to come. And so, our God, we want to put this in your hands. But Lord, we want to pray that the number of cases that go on day by day will go down. Lord, we want to pray that the number of vaccines that are administered goes up. Lord, we want to pray that between now and the beginning of July, when camp is set to begin, things open up in such a way that once again, our Bible camps can run at full capacity. It might seem like an impossible prayer, Lord, but with you, we know that all things can be done. Lord, we pray, put in place what needs to happen so that your camps can minister to an entirely new generation. But Lord, also, if that isn't to be the case, if the restrictions are to remain so that the camps can't open, then God, we pray, be the stroke of brilliance that they need to know how they can minister in other ways. God, we pray, lead them into our communities, into our province in such a way that they bring your glory to all that they come in contact with in a way that works with the restrictions. God, we know that with you this can be done as well. And so we put it in your hands. And Lord, we also want to pray for the people that are already working and the volunteers and the employees that are involved with the camps already. Lord, there is a lot of uncertainty going on in their lives right now. And so we pray be with each of them. Be a blessing to each of them this coming summer. Be exactly what they need to get fired up so that they can bring your love to all that they come in contact with. God, this is something that is on our hearts today. And Lord, we also want to pray as soon the need for volunteers will shoot right up. Be they closed or not, that never changes the fact that Bible camps need volunteers to operate. And so Lord, we pray that as the needs arise, you speak to the people that you need to speak to so that they will find their way there. God, it is a wonderful experience. And so we pray, speak to the heart of whoever it is that needs that push to get going this year. Lord, all of the camps across our province, all of the camps across our nation, all of the camps that are spreading your good news, they are in our prayers this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 37. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. 
It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Welcome to our third of seven weeks looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we have a lot to cover today, so let's begin by quickly summarizing the past two weeks, only the things that we need to head into our passage today. On the first week, when we covered the Beatitudes, we learned that what that list of blessings is are both a description of who it is that we as followers of Christ should aspire to become, but also... It is a list of who it is that Christ is all in for. The poor, the mourning, the meek, the hungry, the merciful, the peacekeepers, the pure-hearted, the righteous, and those who are persecuted. These are people who our God cares greatly for. These are people who the coming kingdom of heaven will see lifted up. And as such, for all of us looking to build that coming kingdom, all of us looking to follow our Lord Jesus Christ as he leads, these are the people we are all to live for as well. Then in our second Sunday, we jumped into the second part of the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings, where we are shown just how to begin doing that, working for the benefit of these people, building that kingdom of heaven. And to begin our talking about the teachings that we find in this second section, we looked at the three-part form that these teachings take. A form where first Jesus points out a traditional wisdom, then second points out a problem with how that wisdom is being used that majorly weighs upon the people that we are to build a better world for, before third showing us how we can address these problems that he has going forward, how we can live in these ways that Jesus guides us to, head in the directions in which these teachings point us to, and not only will the problems Jesus outlines be addressed in our own lives, but more than that, we will find that the little things that we do will contribute to tackling the big problems that go well beyond us as well. Those were the past two weeks, and they were dense. But they were dense because they needed to be. There was a lot of groundwork to lay down, but now that's done. So let's dive into the heavy stuff, because this week we are going to be tackling what the sermon says about divorce while also looking at how what Jesus says about adultery and oath-breaking come into that discussion as well. If you have any little ones that are in the room with you right now, this may be a little bit much for them. But begin doing that, we are going to need to take a step back and look at a particular bit of history. And we're going to need to do that because if we don't, we run the very real risk of coming away from Jesus' teachings on divorce with exactly the opposite takeaway that we should be getting. 
So let's ever so briefly look at women's legal rights, or I suppose the lack thereof during the time of Jesus. Because when it comes to this topic, as 21st century Canadians, we have to remember that our understanding of a woman's legal rights is almost completely at odds with the worldview of most people before the modern age. Today, though, the fight goes on to address the inequalities that still exist between the genders, we don't, or at least we shouldn't, really question the thought that men and women should be seen as equals in the eyes of the law. Equal in government, equal in the marketplace, equal in marriage and if things don't work out equal parties in divorce as well for a whole host of reasons how this equality plays out in reality tends not to actually be as equal as we would hope but that the equality of the genders is assumed and is the goal in 21st century canadian law that that i think is pretty hard to disagree with but as i said this is almost completely opposite to how women have been treated throughout most of the history of civilization. Relevant to our passage today, in Roman law, straight out, women are counted as the property of the men in their lives. This isn't to say that they weren't loved or that they were the same as slaves who were also property but for whom the laws were far more cruel. But it is to say that women of this era were considered property belonging to their male heads of house all the same. Heads of house who could choose to do with them as they pleased. Heads of house who were the entirety of the social net that women of this time had. This same thing goes with children too. Sure, there were laws that outlined good conduct towards your wife and a mess of social norms that served to do the same, but... Never will those two things counteract that if you are property, you will be treated as property. And it is through this reality of the place of women in the society at the time of Christ that our passage today needs to be understood. Because with this understanding, what divorce, as it's being talked about here, what it is, it changes quite a bit from how we understand it today. Then the same as now, marriages broke down. And then, when that happened, the same as now, it was a terrible thing every time. A terrible thing with real legal and societal implications that you would want to be very wary of, lest you, I don't know, offend your in-laws and start an unwanted feud. And so in Jesus' time, and in the place he lived in particular, a time and place that was very concerned with the proper way of living in all things, this question came up in different forms commonly. If a marriage breaks down, what is the right way to go about divorce? What are the right reasons to look for a divorce? How can I divorce my spouse in a way that is beyond reproach? These were common questions that Jesus encountered, and we know that because he deals with them more than once. You can see him deal with that same question in Matthew 19 as well. And while these questions about a proper divorce are all questions with very practical implications for the people asking them, it has to be noted that undoubtedly it would have been the men at the time that were doing the asking, and the men at the time hoping to benefit from those answers. For again, this wasn't 
a time like today. A woman couldn't just go and divorce her husband. No, that, like all legal matters of the time, was something that a husband had the ability to do much more readily than a wife did. And because of this imbalance, divorce served less as a way out of a bad situation, which would be more in line with how it's understood by our culture today. And instead, for the women at that time, it would have felt more like an axe that a husband could wield over her neck, whether he meant to make it seem like that or not. Because assume that you were a woman in this situation, the situation of staring down the barrel of a divorce in the first century world when Roman law insisted that you were thought of as property. What would happen to you if you got divorced? Well, first off, you would be stripped away from your main form of livelihood and support. Next, you would be stripped away from your children and any possible support that they could give you. And while hopefully your family would take you back, all too often, there would be reasons they couldn't. And then what are you left with? Well, probably trying to find another male head of house to take you in. And if you were a woman who was desperate, as you undoubtedly would have been if these were your circumstances in those days, what would you, who were again very desperate, more than likely feel was your only possible option to ensure your future? The idea of using sex to speed along a relationship, that isn't a new one. That is as old as society itself. If you're wanting to find a passage about when divorce and remarriage are permissible, or if you're wanting to find a passage to make the opposite case, this one isn't it. It isn't it because what this passage deals with is something altogether different than either of those questions and what they ask. For if we read this part of the passage that deals with divorce, as we learned to read those teachings last week in a three-part form, we see Jesus makes a very interesting, and to the people of that time, a very valuable point. The first part of the teaching begins in verse 31, where we find our traditional wisdom. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. That's referencing Deuteronomy 24 verse 1. Now from how Jesus words that traditional wisdom, I want to ask you something. How can we see the historical world that Jesus lived in in this passage today? The world where men were very concerned about the right way to divorce in order to be seen on the up and up, while at the same time, women were left desperate and destitute. Notice who it is that Jesus is talking to in this passage. Is it to the women for whom divorce is very likely a sentence to a shorter life? Or is it to the men who held the axe, whether they recognized it or not? Jesus is talking to the men. Because of course he is. If what these teachings in the Sermon on the Mount are is a way to build up those who are low, in this case, those meek women who had a society's boot on their neck, and to force people into confronting the impact of their actions in order so that they can grow into the kind of people that the Beatitudes call us to become, then of course this passage is leveled straight at the men. Not because they are men, but because it was them who held all the cards, and yet they were still more concerned with divorcing their wives correctly than they were about their wives who would more than likely be thrown into the gutter as a result of doing just that. 
And so to these men, Jesus is scathing as he levels his problem with that very way of thinking, which you can see in verse 32. If your concern is divorcing properly, then know that you and your marriage are already hooped. Doing this will make your wife the victim of adultery because how else is she in this society going to get by? That alone would have been seen as a very grievously shameful act at that time. Not just on the behalf of the wife, but also on the husband that forces his wife into that predicament. But Jesus even goes on, spelling out that if you even marry a divorced woman, you make an adulterer of her as well. Why does he say this? Well, because then you are just contributing to this same problem of desperation that you inflicted on on your wife, but now from the other side. The problem Jesus wants us to know that is caused by a society that doesn't care for its women, the problem that is caused by men who care more for divorcing their wives correctly than it does for their well-being, those huge problems, they carry on. And Jesus picks issue with both of them. So what does he tell us to do instead? What does he tell us to do to address these problems? After all, marriages still deteriorate. Relationships still break down. Even if you are trying to address the problems with a society where women are trod upon and men don't care for their wives, there still needs to be some kind of answer to address these problems too. Well... Given that this teaching on divorce comes immediately after a passage about how you shouldn't cheat on your spouse and immediately before a passage about how you need to keep your vows, I would say the implication is pretty clear. Instead of concerning yourself with how to divorce your wife rightly, something that Jesus says is both not possible and also wrong-headed, maybe instead you, the one who holds all of the power, should concern yourself with making your marriage a success. Address the things that are causing you to wonder about how to divorce rightly. Cut them out of your life if need be. Address the things that are stressing your ability to keep the vows that you made to God, your spouse, and your community the day you were married, and just maybe you won't need to worry about how to divorce rightly at all. Instead of concerning yourself with how to end your marriage correctly, maybe instead put that same amount of work and effort into making things with your spouse better and you will find the question of divorce wasn't one needing to be answered in the first place. Every relationship has its stressors. Every relationship has its own forms of adultery of the breaking of the bond and the trust between the people in it. For some, it is literally adultery. For others, it is, I don't know, maybe workaholism, or maybe an issue with substances of any kind you can think of. Maybe it's broken promises. I could keep going, but the truth is that every person listening to this in a relationship of any kind knows exactly what it is in their situation. It is the thing that causes everything to tense up and then explode. It is the thing that makes you just want to tear your hair out. It is the thing that makes you wonder, how can I properly divorce? Divorce my spouse so that we don't need to deal with this thing anymore. And that can be tempting, avoidance, but it has a way 
of just causing the problems to come back bigger than before. Look at the part of the passage today that deals with adultery, verses 27 to 30. It is easy to say, do not commit adultery, this passage tells us, or do not give in to the problem that plagues your relationship. But do you have an eye that keeps looking lustfully at all those things, all those problems that would cause you to be unfaithful in whatever form that may take? In this passage, it talks specifically about adultery, but just as easy, it could be any of the other stressors that make a marriage miserable to abide. Well, Jesus says, you better deal with that because not dealing with these things, it has a tendency of heading in only one direction, a breaking of our marriage vows to be faithful. Look, don't touch. It has a way of turning into flirt, but don't cross a line. It has a tendency of turning into making you wonder how you can divorce your spouse rightly and leaving your spouse feeling when they find out which they will like they have been trod upon by both you and the world don't let things get to that point this goes for everyone when there are problems in your relationship head them off at the pass while they're still small realize of course that even your spouse is human and needs your love and grace but don't let things that are a problem in your marriage go unaddressed because they will come back to haunt you. Again, if an issue is causing you and your relationship to falter, maybe it is best to look at what is causing it. And if need be, cut the source out. If an issue is causing you to break the oaths that you made before God, your community, and your spouse on the day of your wedding, it is worth addressing because doing exactly that, breaking a vow to your spouse, your God, and your community, that is the kind of thing you should never take lightly. This is one of the bigger things to take from this passage today. If we focus on, particularly on the section on divorce and what Jesus has to tell us in it. And while in many ways it might seem like a simple and almost a naive point to us today, after all, it essentially is just saying, instead of getting divorced, maybe try working on your marriage instead. Imagine what it would have sounded like to the people of Jesus's time. It would have been like an upheaval of the world order because it essentially forces you to treat your spouse as someone of real value in a time where that would not have been the norm. And also, I would go farther and say that even though it does sound pretty simple, how many of us, when we are in the heat of the argument, think maybe we should work at this more? But beyond just these takeaways that we hit on, You should also take this passage to be promoting that as Christians, we should absolutely be on board with things like marriage counseling, 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 premarital counseling, and learning proper communication techniques and learning how to identify in us when something is passing into becoming a problem that we don't know how to deal with on our own. More than that even, I would say given the historical context that this passage finds itself in, it should also absolutely be understood as an indictment of any system that would have one gender have all of the power over the well-being of the other. That kind of power imbalance has a way of leading only to these kinds of problems. And before we end, again, I want to state in everything that I said, 
Please remember that what this passage absolutely is not is a prescription of when divorce is either fine or when it's prohibited. To say relationships are always something that should be worked on is not the same thing as saying that things can't get so bad that divorce should be considered. Again, that's a whole other discussion that this passage on its own does not deal with. And so that's a whole different discussion for a different day. One thing, though, that this passage does deal with is the matter of spousal abuse. When Jesus says that marriage is something worth being worked at, he's not saying put up with an abusive spouse so that you can work your marriage through. Remember that Jesus is telling the person who holds all of the power in this passage to sort their nonsense out. He's not talking to the woman for whom this dynamic would have been a sheer act of terror. In the context that Jesus was talking to, what he is saying was as close to the opposite of put up with abuse as you can get. This was a time when domestic abuse just wasn't really thought of as a thing, though it terrorized all the same. And so how it reads, knowing this, is to you men who are making your marriages so terrible in these ways, make it better. Because you are hurting someone that God has declared himself for. And that is a very dangerous place to be because not only does it place you in God's crosshairs, but it also puts you at odds with all of his followers as well. This passage, I have heard it used as a justification for staying together with somebody that is abusing you. And it simply is not that. So if you are being abused, know this passage does not call you to try to wait it out. If you are being abusive, know this passage is telling you that you are in a very dangerous place, so sort it out. And to the rest of us believers, you can take it to mean that if you know of a relationship where abuse is happening, address it. But in this, I suppose we can find a final thing to take away. For a lot of people, this world is a rough place because their relationships cause them to live a miserable life. But as Christians, we are called not only to work at the relationships in our lives to ensure they are not like this, but also I would say we should consider it our duty to equip others in such a way that they can turn and do the same. Maybe if we can do that, work to up the chance that relationships will be a success before they start getting into the thick of everything, that not only will divorce become less of a necessity for so many, but also for those who are the meek among us, those who are so often trod upon, maybe they will be able to, through us, finally feel the kingdom of heaven is at hand.
Our benediction today comes from the book of Romans. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go now and serve our God.